This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. You might remember a few weeks back, we were all uh, down on Lock Street to support uh, the businesses and the residents after a, uh, I believe it was on March 3rd, um, a group marched down uh, Lock Street and created uh, lots of damage and, and so on and so forth, carrying a banner that uh, they are the ungovernable. As a result, uh, there's going to be, um, I'm not sure how this all started, uh, but again, there's going to be a, uh, an upcoming uh, unity rally, Patriot Walk on Lock. Uh, that is planned for Sunday between noon and 2 o'clock. Uh, as soon as that was announced, Hamilton Against Fascism announced that they were going to hold a counter rally. Now the Hamilton and District Labor Council is involved in this. Let's bring in Anthony Marco. He is the president of the Hamilton and District Labor, uh, Labor Council and is with us now. Anthony, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. So how did you guys get involved in this? So we heard reports that this unity rally that was taking place was um, essentially made up of several what we consider alt-right or groups that have espoused racist ideas in the past. And that when they were going to have this walk uh, from the park down Lock Street, um, for us the concern wasn't about uh, where it was that it happened to be on Lock Street, uh, you know, where, where the event happened a couple of weeks ago. But the concern for us was that we had groups that generally espouse racism in the city, and we have a side project of the uh, Labor Council called Shut Down Hate, where we try and make sure that we are vocal about being anti-racist, anti-oppressive, and try and make sure that that message gets out into the community just as much as people who spread the uh, those counter-ideas. So that's why we got involved, and um, that it happened to be near Lock Street, um, I think is, is coincidental. Had they been anywhere else in the city, we would have been there as well. Um, but we are certainly going to make sure that if there are going to be pe- uh, groups out there that could be spreading things that are Islamophobic or, anti- or racist, that we are going to be there to counter that. And this was the original group that started the Patriot Walk on Lock, correct? That's yeah, what you're so, talking about. And are, are you affiliated with Hamilton Against Fascism? Are you, no. Are, so are you no. on the same side as them? Where do they fit in? So is there's three different organizations with three different points of view here? I, essentially, I think so. I mean, from, from what we've heard and... and we saw the post that, that Hamilton, Hamiltonian against fascism put up, and they, are, um, they have their own distinct reasons for uh, opposing these groups. I'm not saying that some of them might not be similar, but the shutdown hate group, which is tied to Labor Council, is specifically about things like racism and Islamophobia. And we, we were told from the people that we know, who know the people who are involved with this patriot group, Unity March that's going down, right. that many of the people who are in that group have been traditionally involved with alt-right and racist sentiments, and so that's the reason why we put um, our our event together. And ours is quite different from specifically what the Hamiltonians Against Fascism are doing. We understand that a lot of what they're doing is being in the park. What we have done with our shutdown hate group is set up an opportunity for people who uh, aren't necessarily comfortable with a what might be a direct confrontational uh, situation and encourage them to bring signs to line the sidewalks of Lock Street. And in case that, that march happens down the side, to simply say that racism is not welcome in Hamilton and neither is oppression, and as Hamiltonians, we will all stand together against those things. Have you, uh, have you any contact with Hamilton against fascism, or are you involved with them in any way in this? We're not involved with them. Uh, we did have con- After we put up the idea that we were going to do our event, uh, we were contacted by the group. Uh, I guess they, uh, they, they, it was a simple communication. It was that, uh, from what I've heard, they, they do plan on having... Um, a couple of, I think they plan on having speakers uh, at the park uh, if they can uh, if they can get the uh, the technology and the PA system together. And they'd ask us if we'd like to speak. Um, I told them that if if 
obviously there's no confrontation at that time. If it ends up being a, a peaceful gathering, then, you know, we would be happy to come up and speak on behalf of Shutdown Hate and Labor Council. Uh, will you be wearing masks? Do you approve of people wearing masks at these things? Uh, we, uh, I don't plan on it. I don't think that anybody who goes there from Shutdown Hate, when we've had our Shutdown Hate event in the in Gore Park to launch uh, our, our initiative back in September, nobody there was wearing masks, uh, and we don't plan on doing it. No, no one that I know that is going to be with our group is planning on doing that. Uh, I can't speak to uh, how or why uh, people who are from the other group might choose to do that. Um, it is perhaps through experience that they have had and through threats that they have had, and I understand the need for some people um, to feel like that they have to protect their identities, uh, but there will be nobody, from what I understand, who will be out there with us for our initiative that is going to be doing that. Are you guys sort of caught in the middle here? What happens if something breaks out between these two? Where do you, go, where, where do you guys fit in? Are you worried this is going to damage what you know, the Hamilton and District Labor Council is all about? I don't think so. The reason why we kind of started up this separate initiative, which is we're calling it Sidewalk Solidarity. So we understand that in the park there's going to be, the, the idea was that the, uh, the Patriot group was going to be gathering in the park, that the Hamiltonians against fascism were going to be gathering in the park to counter rally. What we have said is we have a lot of people in the city who do want to speak about um, anti-racism, anti-oppression, anti-Islamophobia. We have people who want to do that but aren't necessarily comfortable in raising it up to that level where they might actually be in a park where there might be a situation where something might break out. So that's why we came up with our suggestion, which was let us find a peaceful way to send that message. Let us line those sidewalks of Lock Street. And if a march happens to go down there, let us make sure that we have a way to share our message in a way that is not going to get anybody injured, that is non-confrontational. Um, we have a very strong mandate at the Labor Council with regards to uh, promoting peaceful activities as well. You know, certainly resistance, certainly protest, but in a peaceful way. Uh, what happens if it becomes unpeaceful? What happens? Where, where does it, where, where does the, uh, the the council go there? Where do they stand there? How? What do they do? Well, I mean, because we've got most of our most of the people that we're we're gathering together outside of the park anyway. Um, you know, we expect that they are going to be at least a fair distance away, and if they wish to find a safe way to exit from the situation, that they can certainly do so. That's one of the reasons why we provided this. So we're not expecting that it's necessarily going to get that way. In fact, it's been tradition uh, in Hamilton and a lot of other cities that if enough people show up um, as a counter a countermeasure or a counter-rally to when people who uh, espouse racist ideas are gathering, that oftentimes those groups don't have the numbers um, to actually get together, and they can't quite muster where they need to. So that is our hope, that with enough of, enough of a group that is showing up against these ideas, that we actually will stop that from happening. We actually won't have that happening. Um, so that's the hope, that if, you know, if the other side hears that we're going to have 500 to 1,000 people showing up, that they'll say this probably isn't worth it, and maybe we won't actually have to have any kind of confrontation at all. Anthony Marco is with us, President of Hamilton and District Labor Council. Anthony, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Please try to keep it peaceful. We, we, we will try and do so as much as possible. Thank All you. right. Thanks, Anthony. Much appreciated for the time. Let's in, uh, bring in Ed Bethune, uh, Hamilton Against Fascism, of course, uh, the other part of this demonstration. Ed, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. So what's the objective? What can Lock Street expect come Sunday? Is this going to be peaceful? All right, so, so our, uh, our, our goal is to expose uh, this, this so-called patriot walk-on-lock um, as really the attempt by uh, white nationalist and anti-immigrant 
hate groups uh, to, to appear legitimate that it really is and, uh, and to deny them a platform. Um, so, yeah, we, we don't intend to, uh, to allow them to, to make this march. And uh, that's because we, we need to stop fascist organizing um, while it remains relatively weak um, because they certainly don't intend to stop with walks up and down, uh, up and down the street to uh, show their support for coffee shops. So is it just a case of people standing and walking and, and protesting? I mean, what's the chance of conflict happening here, Ed? Yeah, so I think Anthony made actually a really good point, is that when we have overwhelming numbers, uh, they tend to kind of fall to pieces and, uh, and become very timid and, and we can cordon them in or something like that. Um, but we're obviously we're ready to defend ourselves because these are guys who... Not sure if you've seen some of the leaked uh, internal conversations that have gone up, but uh, they've said they're not going to be bringing weapons in an internal conversation, which um, indicates to me that that might be the default setting. And, and we intend to defend ourselves. What, uh, Ed, what about the masks? Why do people have to be marrying, wearing masks? Masks. The anarchist that stormed down Lock Street that started this whole thing March 3rd was marrying, wearing masks. Do you think that goes against the credibility? I mean, the other people you're talking about, you said, look at pictures. They're there. They're not wearing masks. How come you guys are wearing masks? Yeah, so I don't know anything about March 3rd on Lock Street. Um, but the reason we were... You don't we know anything about March 3rd on Lock Street? Have you been under a rock, Ed? It's been in every media outlet and on every social platform. How can you know you don't know what's happening in March 3rd? Scott, you know what I mean. Um, I don't no, know I don't know what you mean. Please explain that. to me what you mean. I'm asking you why you're wearing masks when no one else is. Well, I wasn't at Lock Street on March 3rd, so I can't speak to why anybody there wore masks. I can tell you why we wear masks. Reason is, fascist organizations make a habit of identifying and uh, releasing the personal information. Of nobody else is wearing. Ma- nobody else is wearing masks, though. Ed, everybody else protests and, and just says their piece and says their mind. So you know, again, you, you, wait a sec, hope. Ed. Ed, please, you're playing victim here by saying that if you guys don't wear masks, that they'll come and pick on you. When in fact, you know, this street has just been beat up by people wearing masks. So does that not just go against your credibility? Like, yeah, I, I, so don't under, we, I, I don't understand it. That's why we, we have been really upfront and really explicit in our public statements about the fact that we're going to be wearing masks, why we're wearing masks, and that it doesn't indicate any affinity or connection to March 3rd on Lock Street. But right, you can you can understand that, how that you can understand how people would think this reduces your credibility. You can understand why people would compare you to them. Again, no one else is wearing masks. Why would you wear masks? How come you're more victimized than every other group? I sincerely hope nobody from uh, from any other groups gets identified and has their personal information made public by the fascist organizations. I really do. Um, but the fact that this marches on Lock Street... But haven't you been doing the same thing? Wait, haven't themselves. you been doing the same thing, though? Are you not playing with the same sticks and stones here? I don't think so, because we're not, uh, we're not going to Lock Street to, uh, to do anything like what happened on March 3rd. We're, we're going there to oppose a fascist march. And if they weren't on Lock Street, we wouldn't be on Lock Street. I, again, uh, you know, I'm 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 totally in favor of people who want to protest and do whatever they want to do. I'm just concerned of the residents and the businesses that have worked so hard to, to, to make a living on Lock Street. And again, everybody's welcome to protest and debate. I just don't see where masks puts you ahead or gives your organization any credibility at. And I'm just being honest. Yeah, so, 
so in the aftermath of uh, you know like of, you know we we could we could all we could have all said that you know we don't want to go and support uh, Lock Street or if we're going we're wearing masks because we don't want anybody to know that you know uh, we were supporting Lock Street and we could be worried that those anarchists would come after us the people at Donut Monster who hosted us I mean maybe they'll be victim now because they you know they were a part of this like we all could have covered our faces so again I just see how you have I just don't see how the organization has any credibility when everyone's covering their face when no one else is. Yeah, I, no, I've explained why we do that, Scott. And, uh, and I mean, really. But, but do you understand, groups, Ed? We've got the soldiers Ed, of Odin, Ed, we've got the Proud Boys, we've got the 3% I know, militia. I know, I know, I, mean, I know. We not, know them all. We, we know. Scouts, we, we, and we, 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 I, I know the, that. The I know. threat of fascist intimidation seriously. Uh, and so that's why we do that, right? And, and that's why, why 11 o'clock... On Sunday, uh, we're going to be gathering at Victoria Park. But do you understand? At, uh, at do you understand, Ed? To the majority of people, you are just as bad as those people on Lock Street on March third. If you are wearing masks, do you understand why they feel that way? Like you're you're explaining to us why you do it. Do you understand why it's not acceptable to the majority of the people in town? I don't think the majority of people in town uh, do think that. I think a you, lot of you honestly do think the majority. The you honestly to think yourself. On, Ed, Again, Ed, you honestly think, honestly, Ed, you think the majority of people want you covering their faces and support you covering their faces? Do you believe that, Ed? All right. So last March, we organized a big, uh, a big rally outside of City Hall um, as a counter protest to this. Uh, some of these same people organizing a, a rally against Bill M103 and a number of our members had their faces covered. And you know what? The people who actually came out to that rally, most of whom didn't have their faces covered. They didn't have a problem with it. They understood. Yeah, my, like my, my experience in doing anti-fascist organizing is that really when people understand why we do it, that we need to defend ourselves against intimidation and harassment by fascists, which is a credible threat, they get it. Why, get would, you it. Just, why would you just not go to the police like everybody else does if you're, if you're being threatened, if this is happening? Again, it seems to me like there's two fringe groups fighting with each other. And then and you're dragging and you're dragging the majority of us into this and, and bringing the masks and so on and so forth. Like, you know, people are asking me, are you going there purposely to start a conflict? Are you guys going to start a fight? Well, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, Scott. And uh, and like I said, if they weren't going to be marching on lock, we wouldn't be marching on lock. Right. This isn't again. Uh, nobody care. Nobody care. Nobody's upset we, with anybody marching on lock. Nobody's that. nobody's upset with everybody marching on lock. Everybody supports the open need to protest and whatever. You ha- nobody's against that. What we're concerned about is that anarchy is going to ensue, especially when half of them are wearing masks. So we're not going there to uh, to smash up windows or anything like that. We're going there to to oppose fascism. Point blank. I, I, under, I, I, I understand, but, you know, uh, again, some may look at that as looking for a fight, looking for conflict, and especially the fact that you're, you, you, you're, not, you don't, you're not strong enough to stand without a mask. Well, it's got nothing to do with not being strong enough. It, it has to do, I think, with taking... Well, then you must be doing to, something... To protect yourself. You, it it sounds like, like you're doing something to hide just from something. information on the internet, right? Pardon like, me? It, it, it's not like these guys will just put your information on the internet and leave it at that, right? They'll go after your job. We've had anti-fascist activists in this country in the recent past have their homes attacked, be attacked at their homes. And you know what? Like, yeah, we, we are, we're going we're gonna to protect ourselves, and I encourage others to do the same. Uh, again, we're not... Mask, what, what do you mean by you encourage... affinity with March 3rd on Lock Street. 
Right. And, and, and I don't know what to tell you beyond that, Scott. Because well, again, I, I'm just really trying fixating I, on this connection that doesn't exist. Well, I'm not I'm not asphyxiating on anything other than why one group insists on wearing masks. Like what other well, group, well, I, what other group in society wears masks like that when they're demonstrating? They're usually not too positive. They're usually hiding from something. I've explained to you why we wear the masks, Scott. It's it's and I've ex- and, and, and I've explained to you from, and, and I've explained to you Ed why you, and, and it, 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 are you finished and I've explained to you Ed the reason that you don't have the support of the majority of the people is because you're covering your faces that's the part of this they don't understand you want to demonstrate you're more than welcome to people do not want to be associated with people who cover their faces while they're demonstrating because it leads to violence and, and, and you know and we understand your point I just hope Ed you understand how the rest of the city feels about this that's all. Well, I, th- I think that, that first and foremost, the rest of the city is opposed to white nationalism and hate organizations. I think they're also opposed to people who demonstrate with masks on their faces. The I really do. I also think they're just as opposed to people who, d- who demonstrate with masks on their face. With that, i got to let you go, Ed. I appreciate Good luck. Please don't beat up our city. Please be peaceful. Ed Bethune has been with us. Hamilton Against Fascism, uh, Lock Street, Sunday. Uh, around 12 noon-ish. Uh, Hamilton Labor Council, Hamilton and District Label, uh, Labor Council, Hamilton Against Fascism, and the Patriot Walk on Lock. Uh, just please protest peacefully. That's all we're asking. Don't beat up our city. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. World markets uh, cranky again, rising fears, stock market heading down, U.S.-China trade war. Beijing has retaliated against the Trump administration's tariffs by threatening to import duties on their goods. Where does this all end, and is this just another boy who cried wolf? How concerned should we be about all of this? Let's bring in Patrick LeBlanc, Associate Professor, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs, University of Ottawa, and is with us now. Patrick, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. It's good to be back. So, Patrick, a few weeks ago, uh, Canada was all up in arms. Everybody's upset. Steel tariffs, aluminum tariffs. Uh, There was talk of this being used to leverage the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, It looked like the world was coming to an end. Then all of a sudden, nope. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to put in there. Then there was no exemptions, no exemptions allowed. And then a couple of days later, oh, it seems that there are exemptions. All is good again. And now they're actually talking positive about the uh, NAFTA negotiations. Why is this any different? <laughs> I don't think it's any different. I, I think from what we've seen, and, and we saw it again yesterday, the, 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 the way that the, the, the Trump administration, and certainly Donald Trump, but I think this applies also to the uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, is that they, 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 the way they negotiate, and I have not read the art of the deal, but I suspect that that's very much in there, is that you, you, you kind of try to build as much leverage as you can uh, before even beginning negotiations. You make threats. Uh, like Trump did by saying that if he didn't get a good uh, new NAFTA agreement, he would just simply pull the U.S. out of it. Then it was the question of, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna impose uh, tariffs on steel and on uh, aluminium from Canada and Mexico, and then okay, well, we're gonna give you uh, an exemption, but this that exemption is temporary on the condition that there is good progress uh, on the NAFTA negotiations. 
And and then, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, basically a week later, we find out that in fact there has been some progress and that, you know, the Americans, but although the compromise, interestingly, in this case, seems to come more from the Americans than it comes from the Canadians and the Mexicans. Uh, from what we see. But it seems to be the way that, that, that Trump op- operates. Even yesterday, now, the, 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 these, these new tariffs and, and, and sanctions, well, not sanctions, but tariffs are going to be opposed, uh, imposed on, on, on Chinese goods coming into the U.S. You know, apparently, the whole reason is to actually force a negotiation with the Chinese. Uh, as opposed to just negotiating, you kind of you know, bring in your tanks or you start bombing, and then you say, okay, now let's talk. Uh, and, and that seems to be very much the way that, that, that Trump operates, and it's been like that with, with, with NAFTA, except that on the Canadian and Mexican side, and especially on the Canadian side, we just didn't buy into it. We just said, okay, fine, you know, you want, you want, to, you want to threaten us to leave, we'll just call your bluff, see if you can actually do it. We don't think you can, but hey, fine, you know, let, let's actually just focus on the negotiations, because ultimately this is what matters, and, and we're not going to accept uh, your, 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 the demands that you're making, because for us, they're just unacceptable. And, and, and let, let's just continue negotiating. And it seems that so far that approach is, is, is working from, from the Canadian perspective and also from the Mexican one. Uh, Patrick, I think you hit the nail right on the head with the point that I was trying to make. That, you know, uh, you know it, it, it seems as if he is just playing to the base that at the end of the day, uh, which once, you know, something that would once scare everybody, now everybody's going like, you know, you, you know, you basically run around in circles when you're ready and serious to talk and you want to get together, we'll sit down and chat with you. I mean, at what point do all world leaders just look at him and react the same way? So in other words, once you've read the art of the deal, you know what it's all about. And it's not, it's not really that valuable anymore. The well, method yeah, that he's using. You're absolutely right. And, and, and I mean, so far, there are two approaches. What, one is to say, okay, well, you're threatening us and, and we'll, you know, we, we, we will see when you actually put that, you know, that threat actually materializes. Uh, well, and, and, and we're also going to use uh, all other means, our own leverage with, you know, members of Congress and the states and the governors and the business community and all that that actually are on our side. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to put pressure on you. Uh, and, and that's how the Canadians and Mexicans have been negotiating. And, you know, the Europeans have done the same thing, which is why they actually also got uh, an exemption under the steel and aluminum tariff. I mean, now it's reached a point where uh, I think over two-thirds, uh, two-thirds of, 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 of uh, imports coming into the U.S. in terms of steel and aluminum are now exempted from those tariffs. So in that sense, it's, you know, Trump said that the, the, the whole logic of imposing these tariffs on steel and aluminum was to target the Chinese um, uh, markets, and, and that seems to be pretty much what's happening, given all the exemptions that everyone seems to be getting, except the Chinese. Uh, but then, w- you know, once those threats actually materialize, like now it, it looks like it's going to happen again uh, with uh, the Section 301 uh, that, that, that Trump is, is, is going to impose or has mandated the USTR to impose on, on China, um, you know, the Chinese are retaliating and are saying, okay, fine, you know, you want to do this. Well, we've actually also, we're going to launch retaliation. They've already announced yesterday that they were going to retaliate against the steel, steel and aluminum tariffs and, uh, on $2 billion worth of goods going from, uh, from the U.S. to China. Uh, and, and they say that, you know, should the, the Section 301 actually materialize, they're, they're going to uh, retaliate again. Uh, and the EU was saying the same thing. And, and of course, these are, this has huge consequences. And the Chinese have said that, for instance, they would target agricultural goods, whether it's soybeans, whether it's, it's pork, which are big export markets for the U.S., 
and, and, and immediately you can see those groups uh, you know, moving into Washington and, and lobbying and saying, look, this is going to hurt us and it's going to hurt you politically uh, going into the midterm elections. And then so we're, what we might see is actually then a kind of a pushback from the Trump administration, which ultimately lessens, the, as you, you just said, the credibility of the threat. Uh, and, 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 and that's why, it's, you know, it's not clear to me that it actually, this, this kind of rambunctious approach to, to trade, uh, where you create a lot of uncertainty, we saw how the markets are reacting, uh, whether it actually leads to, to better results, uh, ultimately, as opposed to in the NAFTA context and say, okay, we think that NAFTA can be renegotiated, it's a 20-year-old agreement, let's sit down, let's make it a good deal. And, and, and let's try to make it something that, you know, is a good compromise for everyone and, and modernize it without having all this kind of um, uh, drama around it and politically and the uncertainty and the fact that businesses are saying, OK, well, maybe we should hold on with investments, which ultimately affects, you know, uh, profits and jobs and, and, and the economy. And, uh, and, and it seems that, again, this is what's happening, and, and it's not clear that we're getting better results, or at least the Americans are getting better results as, uh, as a result of it. Uh, although in our case, if the Chinese start imposing uh, tariffs on U.S. ports, well, we'll benefit from it because uh, they're going to come here to buy our mm. port. So fine, do it. Well, we'll, we'll, that's good for us. Well, and exactly as you're saying here, uh, it's as if he doesn't realize uh, the ramifications of what he's saying. He's trying to sell this to the world, and half the time he can't sell it to his own country, which is why the changes have happened in the tariffs and the NAFTA agreement and such. Would it be any different with China as soon as everybody starts complaining that everything that we import from China or wherever or vice versa, the the prices are going up. So uh, is America going to want that? I mean, at, at what point... You know, I mean, he he can't sell this to his own people, his own party, let alone the rest of the world. I, I mean, he he usually just um, you know folds after a while and and comes to some sort of agreement that he can position that it looks like he won. Uh, yeah. Are are we all? Uh, so where's the China thing going? Is is it? It'll be. Will it be the same as everything else? Will it just run out of gas think, after a while? Will, yeah, I think it will be the same. I think you know the. The Chinese now are going to retaliate, uh, and and as a result of that, you're going to see a lot of, of political pressures on, on Congress and then on the administration to kind of push back. Ultimately, you'll get some kind of negotiated deal, I guess, uh, and then you know Trump will say, you see, I told you, we got a deal from the Chinese, which we would not have gotten otherwise if we had not threatened or if we had not imposed these tariffs. Now, is that the case, Patrick? Let me ask you about that. Now, is there something... Let's look at it from the other side. I mean, he was put in there by the people of America to shake things up, and that's what he's done. So, is there any advantage to what he's doing? I mean, in the end, yeah, he's not holding enough cards to actually make this play, but is he holding enough to change the game? Is is this in some some way benefiting them. Yeah. The, well, the, the difficulty with all that is that you never know. You know what we call the counterfactual, right? If he had not done, if he had not gone gone on with those threats and or with the, the steel tariffs and, and and so on and so forth, would he by just negotiating and and kind of saying, look, you know, let's negotiate first. Let's try to come to an understanding. We know you have you know you have overcapacity in the steel and aluminum industry. So let's try to negotiate a deal. This is not good for us. And kind of instead of starting with the, the, the let, now we're going to impose tariffs, let, let's negotiate, right? Uh, instead of saying, instead of saying, well, if you don't, if we don't, if we cannot agree, then we will impose the tariffs. But he kind of starts the other way around, right? 
Um, so it's not clear because apparently even Wilbur Ross at some point had negotiated a deal with the Chinese back, I think, in the fall or even last year uh, on the issue of steel and aluminium. And Trump said, well, this was not good enough uh, and basically uh, pulled Ross out and, and, and did not agree to, to the agreement that, that Wilbur Ross, the, the Secretary of Commerce, had, had negotiated with the Chinese. And now but we'll, we'll see what those tariffs gives. But if the Chinese are also retaliating, which is going to cost the U.S. economy, it's going to cost U.S. consumers, etc., uh, will will Trump actually get a better deal than what Ross negotiated in, in his name? Uh, that is not clear. Uh, the problem is we'll never know because we don't know exactly what Ross <laughs> negotiated. But it's not clear that, he, that, that as a result of, of, of those tariffs or even now the Section 301 that, that it, it's, it's going to work. And certainly uh, if, if, he had just used, if Trump had just used, let's say, the, the World Trade Organization uh, or even tried to beef up the trade organization to, to deal with those issues, would he would he get a better deal than what he's doing now? So that's the problem. It's just we can we never know really. But the, mm. in the meantime, the fear is that uh, you know the world economy is is going to crumble. The stock markets are, are are panicking to some extent. There's fear that the, the trade the trade system is going to collapse as a result of of these trade wars. Uh, and 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 then you know that, that saps confidence in the world economy. And when you start dealing with confidence, then you affect actually economic growth, and ultimately you're affecting investments and jobs and consumption. Uh, and, and that's where there's, there's a real danger. I mean, the role of politicians is actually to create confidence in the markets, to create confidence in the economy so that mm. people can consume, that they can invest, that they, they, they can develop new products. Uh, but if you create uncertainty as to what the rules of the game are going to be, as to what the prices are going to be, then people are just kind of going to stand, stand back and wait and see what happens. And, and that's why we see the markets reacting very negatively to yesterday's announcement. We've spent the last 30 years, well, certainly with NAFTA anyway, trying to open up and break down trade barriers, trying to create a global economy, a global world. Will, Donald's tr- will Donald Trump's position and his protectionist attitude change that or just change America's involvement in it? Has the rest of the world gone too far to turn back or... Do they, do, does the states and Trump's policies have the ability to turn everyone into a protectionist society? It's a very good question. I think that, that's you know, the, 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 the trillion-dollar question that, that everyone is, is wondering. How far will this go? Can this be contained? Can the you know, rest of the world move on without the U.S.? Uh, is the rest of the world saying, you know, only a few more years and then he may be out? I think that's what most people are, are thinking and, and hoping for, that, okay, this is just a blip. Uh, and then, you know, not saying that the Americans have not done this before, right? You know, they've used the Section 301 before against the EU and, and in the 1990s. So, so it, it, I mean, per se, these are not necessarily new, but it's the way that it's being done uh, that, that certainly is, is worrisome. Um, but I think right now people are saying, okay, well, let's hope that this is just a, sort of a phase that things can kind of coil down. The good news in part, I guess, is that uh, even in this Section 301, this memorandum that, that Trump uh, yesterday signed and sent to uh, the USTR, uh, it, it is using the WTO dispute mechanism system and saying, OK, we're going to go to WTO. So they're still using the international trade rules, but they're using also their own American trade rules to, to try to put pressure. So it's not as if they're completely abandoning the, the international system. But, you know, there, there are always worries. What if, you know, to what extent are the Chinese going to retaliate? And then are the Americans going to retaliate to the Chinese retaliation? And that's, you know, that's the, the ultimate trade war that, that people fear and then completely bypass uh, 
the WTO and 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 and, and other such agreements, uh, and and that's where people are, are worried. But in the meantime, the only thing that we can do is continue putting pressure uh, on the administration via Congress, via governors, via the business community to try to explain to Mr. Trump and his and 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 his his, uh, his advisors that look. These are the consequences of your decisions for the, the U.S. agriculture industry, for the auto industry, for this and that. And, and it's not always clear that they, they, they understand these things, or at least that they think about them beforehand. But then once you, you, know, it seem to, you explain to them, then it seems that, okay, well, maybe how can we kind of find some kind of balance where we're, we can still achieve our so-called objective of putting pressure on, on our, uh, our competitors, if you want, uh, while at the same time maybe exempting or protecting certain industries. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. But, you know, the more this goes on and, 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 and the more the, the rest of the world either moves on from the U.S. or ignores the U.S. or ignores the, 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 the trade system and, and potentially retaliates, then it becomes dangerous. Now, so far on the steel and aluminum, the, the U.S. has agreed on exemptions for a large majority of the country, so that, in a way, is good news because it removes the pressure from the trade war. Now we'll have to see what happens with, with China. Uh, with the, the, the Section 301 process, uh, there's going to be a 30-day consultation process with stakeholders uh, sometime at the end of April uh, and, and early May, so we'll have to see what comes out of that. And after that, we'll see the final decision what that will be. Maybe in the meantime, there'll be a negotiated agreement between the Chinese and the Americans, and Trump will, will, will claim victory for that. Hmm. And, and fine, you know, at least good for him, and, and maybe if we can avoid a, twi- a real trade war, then you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him that victory if he wants it. That's fine. Uh, we've only got it about a minute left here, Patrick, but considering how long it took to build these sorts of commercial relationships with China the last several decades, consider how far we've come when you think about it, how does China this? How does China view uh, you know, Trump's view of them? Well, certainly the, 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 the Chinese you know, speak, speak a, a good game, right? They talk about open markets and globalization and all that. But if you look on the ground, what's actually happening is that you know, they're very protectionist, whether it comes to uh, you know, their, their data market, e-commerce markets. They, they have this, this very strong industrial policies. So is it, a, is, it a, is it an unfair trade imbalance? Is, is it fair? Is it fair trade no, as there is between the two? trade on the Chinese part also, yeah. and no one's defending the Chinese here. They're just, def- they're just kind of not sure that the, 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 the Trump method is the right one to pursue, given the uncertainty mm. that it creates. But the Chinese certainly are, uh, have their own protectionism, and, and that's why uh, some people are saying, well, we need to put pressure. Is that the right way to put pressure? That's the big question right now. We'll have to see what kind of results we can get. If we get some results, then actually it might be a good thing. The thing is, is that it should be multilateral. It should, you know, the, China should not just do a deal with the Americans and then it excludes the, the, the rest of the world like Canada and others. That's where the problem is. And that's where you need uh, to, to go multilaterally and, and use the international trading system so that you put that kind of pressure on China to remove those barriers uh, and then actually everyone can benefit as, with, with free trade. That's really what we want. Uh, if it's just a U.S.-China deal, then what's in it for us? And, and how do we benefit as opposed to just the U.S. companies in, in, in the Chinese market and vice versa? Patrick LeBlanc has been with us, Associate Professor, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs, University of Ottawa. Patrick, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. A former Playboy model has apologized to first lady uh, to the first lady 
of the United States because of her 10-month affair with President Donald Trump. Uh, During an interview with Anderson Cooper, she revealed that Trump tried to pay her for sex initially. Uh, She declined. (sighs) Do we care about this stuff? Have we gone too far? Um, I felt a little greasy after uh, watching all of this. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR pop culture expert principal at Alyssa PR Communications. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hello, Scott. Did you watch this? Well, I read about it. Uh, I watched it because I have to. It's research for me. Yes. Oh, and it's okay. part of, Well, it is. It's part of my job. I have to watch it. Uh, just like I had to search Stormy Daniels. There you go. And find out what that was all about. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just felt really greasy watching this. It was, it was, it was, it was like a train wreck. It was terrible. I felt, I felt sorry for everyone involved. You know, it, it's interesting because I, the tact is, tactic is very interesting. Sort of, she's, apo- she's apologizing to Melania. So this is very different than Stormy Daniels, right? Mm. Stormy Daniels says, you know, I had an affair. He's denying it, but it's true. And I'm really not under a gag order. Um, and that it wasn't really signed. She's taking more of a, a completely different tact, which is more of a woe is me. I really loved him, but I wouldn't want this done to me. But you did for 10 months. So uh-huh, you knew he was married. And um, I'm apologizing uh, to Melania, but yeah, he tried to pay me for sex. So if you're not trying to profit off of this, and I'm not saying, you know, either way, but, you know, she says, you know, they did pay her, but they didn't run the story, but it's what... Yeah, National Enquirer Enquirer paid her for the story, 150 grand, I think, and then uh, they decided not to run the story. But they call this, from the research that I did, a catch and kill. So they catch her, they pay her, uh, they make her sign a contract, they give her $150,000, but it doesn't require that the inquirer run the story. Right. But what it does require her is to be quiet. So what's really interesting here is that, number one, there's always all roads lead to Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohn. Like, that's the first thing. The second thing is that here you have a media entity that we know is sympathetic to Donald Trump, the National Enquirer, and TMZ, from what I understand, that they are sympathetic to Trump, and they are actually complicit and helping him silence all these women. And that, you know... you know, How can you yeah. say that about TMZ when they were the one that ran the video of him on the bus with Billy Bush? Yeah, but there has been some... There's probably... I think that there's a lot more that they haven't run. So, but the National Enquirer, like here you have a media outlet that is helping out Donald Trump by keeping all these women quiet. And we know that they're sympathetic to him, but that really puts a a whole different spin, and I hate to use that word, but it puts a whole different spin on the job of a news provider. So we know that you like to provide gotcha news, which is the National Enquirer. I will tell you that they have phenomenal sources. So you may be in the supermarket line and read something ridiculous, and some of it is really ridiculous, but you might read something and go, well, how would they know that? Can I tell you something? They know. They know. Their sources are absolutely... They're Although maybe National Enquirer didn't want to run it because it was true. Um, well, that's why. So they use them sort of as a bait. They go, listen, we want to run your story with no intention of ever running it. But what they're doing is they're helping out their candidate. They're helping out Donald Trump and his people by saying, 
you know, however we get, and I don't even know how all this worked. I mean, is the National Enquirer paying them $150,000? Is the money being funneled through Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, to the National Enquirer to pay the women, the woman $150,000? You know, I don't know. But they are like the middleman. So they pay, they get her silence, and whether they run the story or not, she still can't talk. But in this case, she is. So there's my question. So why, because the whole Stormy Daniels thing, when she went on Jimmy Kimmel and couldn't say anything, you know, it was all sorts of innuendo, but I, you know, I can't say anything. You figure it out, Jimmy. You play the word game and la, 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 la. Mm-hmm. Whereas this person's coming out and just telling the story. What is she suing for? Because she's already told the story pretty much. Well, Other than, I, what, what are we waiting for? The sordid details? Well, so I don't know what she's suing for because on one, out of one side of her mouth, she says, I don't want to make any money on this. She says she wants her identity back. She wants the story. She wants to be able to tell her side of the story, but it sounds like she already did that on Anderson Cooper last night. Well, exactly. So I'm not sure unless, you know, you want your 15 minutes of fame. So I can't really, I can't really figure it out. You go out there, you say you don't want money, but really the end game is money. Like you cannot tell me the end game is not money in these, in this case. But yeah, there's more. There's more to be made than the 150 grand she was paid, or the other one, 130 grand to keep quiet. Now, oh, of course. Now, I mean, well, can, well, so they think. So they think, Scott. You know, I mean, if this woman has already told all her, yeah, all, really. all, the whole story. I mean, how much more money is she going to make? Is does that make Stormy Daniels smarter in this case? And I can't believe that here we are. We're talking essentially about the. You know, yeah. this sort of like strategic uh, intelligence of, you know, women who want to sleep with married men. But anyways, um, you know, she hasn't told her story, so she's holding back. The other thing that she has done is that she's really put her lawyer forward. So Stormy Daniels' lawyer, who has been very savvy and sort of, you know, plays that part really, really well, went on the Today Show and was really grilled by Savannah Guthrie. But he kind of really held his own. And Drew didn't say it said enough that you could basically connect the dots. So um, that being said, is the is this lady last night opening herself up to being sued? I mean, will she be taken for everything she has now that she's had this exclusive interview with with CNN? You know, I, I really wonder. Will he sue I, her? I, I think that the the last thing that he wants to get into is litigation with someone that he slept with. Because what that does, Scott, is that really just drags on the, sto- the storyline. Does Trump really care that he slept with somebody? I mean, you know, maybe it's not fun at home with Melania. But honestly, does his base really care? That's my point. Does any of the base care about no, any of this? They but did, the other they didn't element care about Billy Bush. No, but the other element of this is that this woman came out last night, seemed very emotional. And I don't know if I, I don't think it was staged. I saw the, the whole interview pretty much. And it, I, I don't know. I, I felt very uncomfortable. Um uh, and, and then, uh, you know, apologize to Milani. Does it take a different angle because of that? I think that that's what she was um, counseled to do in order to change her narrative and make her sound... You don't have any sympathy for this woman at all, do you? Well, I, I just don't... You, you know what? Be clear about your end game. Don't tell me your end game is not to make money. You know, if you slept with somebody, you know, 10, 12 years ago and they decide, well, now's the time I really want to tell my story. And then, the, you know, the National Enquirer, somebody connects her with the National Enquirer and says, well, we're going to run the story. Here's 150000 You were happy to take it. 
There was one of the commentators on CNN that said, you know, there's nothing new here. There's lots of presidents that were uh, womanizers and JFK such. JFK was and, uh, exactly. a huge womanizer. And talked a lot about JFK, but said the difference was we didn't hear about it. We suspected it. We thought about it. But it they didn't, it didn't knew. play. The media knew they chose not to cover it. It certainly didn't play out into the homes and, and living rooms of, of America the way this is. Uh, will this resonate in any way, or will this? Like, I can see this being um, interpreted both ways. I, I could see this people saying, "You know what? This is you've gone way too far here. We don't need to do this. This is none of our business." Uh, and of course, I can see the ones that are, you know, against him saying, "Yeah, this is it. We should get rid of this guy." I mean, where does this go? You know, it seems to be a never-ending pit, and uh, you have to like look at Trump and think that. He's like the Teflon Don. He really is. All this stuff happens, and nothing ever seems to stick. So you first you have Stormy Daniels, and you have this other woman coming out, and then there's been a series of other women. But what man. can his poor wife think about this? Oh, I, I listen. She and again, should I not years. say? Should I not say poor wife? Is that well? <laughs> she, she listen. She knew what she was getting into when she got into it, and she's known for years that this has been going on. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it was a good life, and maybe, you know, she had a, a son, and she decided she made, her, she made a choice, and yeah. lots, of, lots of people do this. They made a choice. She decided to stay. The problem is now is that he's president, mm. so it makes him more of a target so that all these affairs that he covertly or not so covert, covertly had are basically now all coming out into the open. You know, at, at some point, you have sort of have to feel for her that you know, the life that she's had to lead, and she continues to lead. Mm. What will be more interesting is, you know, how does the opposition pick up on these narratives? Because clearly... That's a good point. Do they, do they start throwing mud, or do they just stay away from it? You know, they start, they're kind of letting the media do all the mudslinging on their own. So they're not feeding into it. They're not yet putting out um, campaign narratives or ads. But, you know, if the 2018 midterms come closer. I think what you'll see is that the the Democrats will dig into that big, huge war chest that they have. And then depending on the battlegrounds, really start to seed, you know, the narratives of discontent. So what I'm looking for is, you know, how are you going to craft all this so people actually care? When you see the, the midterm elections that have happened thus far, I think there was one in Pennsylvania, and I think there was one in, uh, I can't remember which state in the Northeast, that Republicans in Republican strongholds were soundly defeated. And I don't know about all the, the various advertising going on in those particular counties, but I can only imagine that there was some. So when you have a wide swath of them, I think that they're going to be very strategic and they're going to pick and choose on what they say where. But it'll be interesting to see how they articulate it. Uh, I, I did my commentary on this today. There's nothing uh, um, more embarrassing than watching two uh, grumpy old 70-year-old men uh, threaten to beat the bejeebers out of each other. Your thoughts on the crazy Joe Biden, uh, well, here's the tweet. Crazy Joe Biden trying to act like a tough guy actually is weak, both mentally and physically, and yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe. And this was after Joe Biden was speaking at an anti-sexual harassment uh, rally and basically said in the old days, if uh, he had met him uh, in high school, he would have taken him out by behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. What does it say when we got two senior citizens threatening to beat each other up. The only thing that's missing here is canes and, and walkers and cafeteria trays. And maybe a couple of Viagra. I don't there, know. There so, you go. 
You know, I, I have to say that Trump's tweet is so typical of him. I think people read it and think that, yeah, I think I do believe that Joe Biden could like unleash one right hook and down would go, you know, down goes Trump. Well, down you know what? Trump. Trump certainly bit the Biden bait, didn't he? He did. He absolutely took the bait and he knew that he would. And I think that, you know, what do they call Joe Biden? Scranton Joe. He grew up in a, in a steel mill town. He grew up very scrappy. I have no doubt that uh, Joe Biden took a few guys out in, in the back of the gym during his during his heyday. Um, I think he knows. I think also Joe Biden is not a, not a dummy. He knows that that's a, a brilliant soundbite. He knows that that will get him into the news cycle for about 24, 48, 72 hours. And don't count Biden out for running for the primaries. You know, um, I think that he was ready to run the last time, but, you know, Hillary yeah. had the Democratic National Party all tied up in her favor, and which obviously didn't work. So don't count Biden out. So he'll take his sound bites when he can get them. All right. One last thing I got to ask you about before you're out of here. Uh, Facebook, uh, my goodness, in the last week, they've gone from hero to zero. Mark Zuckerberg comes out and, uh, and speaks on behalf of the company. Not sure. There's artificial intelligence right there. I'm not sure this man is real. Uh, where is Facebook now? Are people going to walk away from this or is this just another blip on the screen? And like Tim Hortons a few months ago, we're all back in line. Well, you know, there's that. I don't think people are going to start jumping off of Facebook, but I would hope that they would be more vigilant about how to set their privacy settings. You know, I was on another show and people were talking about it and they they were saying, well, people should know better. They should really educate themselves. And I'm like, you know what? That's kind of smug, isn't it? When they're... Yeah, we're all going to read that too. We're all going to read that 250 page thing and hit accept. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is, is that, you know, the way that your feed is being populated, you know, you think you have control over it, but you don't. So you can choose to hide things, or you can choose not to hide things. But honestly, I think that I've seen a huge amount of media coverage on this in a way that I didn't expect it. I did not expect to see a screen grab of Zuckerberg on CNN on the front page above the fold in my Globe and Mail the other day. I really didn't. So it seems that there's a bit of a media pylon because people can't stand Facebook and they feel, especially newspapers, that feel that they've been co-opted by Facebook in their trending stories and, and Facebook thinks that they themselves are the news. So Zuckerberg does not have any allies in the, in the media realm, as it, as it were. Hmm. And honestly, I think that he has to play it very carefully. Listen, even Sheryl Sandberg was on the Today Show this morning, and she was apologizing, saying, you know, we really should have come out with this before. Well, yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. So, you know, what is it, something, you know, forgive, you know, t- take now and try to ask to easier to uh, Easier to forgive than ask for permission. Correct. See, that's why you've got the show, Scott. <laughs> So, yeah, I've always I've always got a I've always got a, a useless phrase for something. Thank goodness it's you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I think. No, no, no. Uh, no I know. It I'm is. just kidding. It's true. So, uh, where, what does Facebook do moving forward? How do you? And really, political parties—they've all got their their hands dirty in this because they're all doing it in some form. It's you know, it's not really a question of legalities. It's more of a question of ethics. So how does Facebook position itself moving forward? And doesn't everybody else realize that every other social media platform does this too? You know, I think it depends on the side of good or evil that you're on. You know, Obama did this. And he did it by, you know, he raised money $5 at a time, you know, using social media. And we were all okay with that because we all liked Obama. But we don't like Trump and we don't like the fact that the Russians were involved too. 
So it sort of adds a bit of, you know, Dr. Evil to this whole thing. Um, I think that what Facebook is going to have to do is be more open and transparent. Uh, And they do do it to some extent, but even more open and transparent about, okay, this is in your feed because. Or if you don't want to see this and be very, very clear about it, every time something pops up that isn't from your Aunt Millie, then what you can do about it. So they need to show action, they need to show a course of action, but even on a deeper level on, you know, they sell millions and millions of dollars worth of advertising. They know who's buying. Mm-hmm. So what are, what, are the, what are the steps that they're going to put in to prevent, um, you know, people with evil intentions from, you know, uh, co-opting the data that, uh, that Facebook provides? And how are they going to discern that? And how are they going to figure that out? Where so, do you draw the line? I mean, we no. had this discussion the other day. I mean, you know, back, it wasn't that long ago that when they were putting up, and I've used this example a bazillion times, closed-circuit cameras outside everywhere in public squares, people were uh, upset. You know, Big Brother's watching us everywhere we go. Now we don't care about that sort of thing. They'll put everything on Facebook or social media or what have you. Then all of a sudden, this sends up a red flag. So is this, to the younger generation, what CT cameras were uh, closed circuit TV cameras were to the older generation. Is this the is this the thing that triggers young people? That's it. You can't use my information for this, but you can use it for that. We don't mind it when it's advertising. You can't do it for political parties. Well, you know, and I would hope so. I mean, I would hope so. When CCTV cameras came came out, you know, what could you do about them? They were so high up. I mean, they're looking at you. It is what it is. But you know, you do have. Um, control over your Facebook settings. So do you think everybody's going to go in this weekend and change their settings? I'm guessing no. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly going to go look. But, but if Once you, want, you figure if out you, how to do it, let me know. Do anything, if you don't want to take any, any control, and Facebook does lay it out for you how to do it. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then don't complain about it. Yeah. But if you do, then you have every reason to complain about it. And, I, you know, I think that this sort of hate on for Zuckerberg isn't, isn't going to help him at all. Here he had to sort of come out and apologize, but does he really mean it? Is he really remorseful? Uh, it's kind of God. funny, though. The ultimate anti-establishment guy is now the establishment. Well, and then there's rumblings that he wants to run for president. Why? Because he can manipulate all the data and get everybody to vote for him? <laughs> Jeez, he's got all the money. What does he want that job from? Isn't That's he, what I say. Isn't he learning enough from Trump? That's what I say. You know, he, he took, what, a $6.9 billion hit yeah. in his own finances, and I guess that was just some change falling out of his pocket. Exactly. What does that mean? No garden shed for the pool this year? <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, Alyssa Freeman has been with us, a PR and pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.